0: Hello everyone, welcome to Voice of the Wild, a weekly podcast initiative by Naturalist Foundation. In the episode 2, we are going to talk about all major nature events that have taken place until 23rd May 2020. With this podcast, we bring you closer to the world of wildlife conservation, scientific research and government environmental policies. I am Vanishi Naik and along with me I have... I am Gauri Zoshi.
1: I am Manju and in today's podcast, we are going to talk about a few important happenings of wildlife amid this lockdown. Starting with updates on Italian project and EIA, moving on to two coal mining projects in eco-sensitive zone of Western Ghats and second one in Dehing Patkai Elephant Reserve. Moving further, we will talk about animal interaction and hunting down of Kerala man The next one on the list, we have Algal Bloom in Talaway wetlands and how China has taken steps to eradicate wildlife trade. And finally, rediscovering sustainable development through a COVID-19 lockdown lens. Now, I would like my friend Gauri to let us know about the insights of updates on Italian
2: project which has been approved. With the onset of coronavirus pandemic, people all over the world have started to realize the grave consequences of environmental destruction and mismanagement. The reality has sunk in that we aren't well equipped to handle the ongoing degradation of the environment. At the same time, our government has ignored this wake-up call and has used the nationwide lockdown to give its nod to a very controversial project which can cause more harm to the environment. Last time, you all heard about the Bang Valley and the Italian Hydroelectric Project. So yes, it's indeed this project that has received approval. Forest Advisory Committees, that is FAC, has neither rejected nor recommended this, but instead they pushed it to Union Ministry of Power, Environment Ministry's Wildlife Division and National Tiger Conservation Authority, NTCA, who are actually responsible for tiger conservation. Tigers are extremely important for the ecosystem of any place and their decline leads to total collapse of that ecosystem. Studies had also shown that the Bang Valley has records of tiger sightings. So in this situation, Environment Impact Assessment that is EIA study seems to have been totally useless. Now what is this EIA I am talking about? It's basically a study to predict what consequences development projects like dams, highways and so on will have on the environment of the selected area. That helps to decide whether a project can be started or not. And if it's to be started, what can be done to reduce its impact? Now the problem is, Ministry of Environment, Forests and Climate Change has proposed about a new EIA notification which will replace the current one from 2006. This notification has posed serious problems for the environment as well as the people who will be affected by development projects. A classic example is the recent tree cutting in RA Forest. EIA is supposed to cover the entire ecology of the area but MMRC excluded the rich biodiversity of the fauna in the forest. RA isn't called green lungs of the city for nothing. It's a natural flood plain of Mithi river as well as controls the temperature and humidity of the city. If we lose this, we will see a rise in floods during monsoons. Who will be responsible for it then? EIA was supposed to minimize the damage but what's happening seems to be completely opposite. The new EIA poses problems like projects that had failed to obtain a clearance or had started without applying for it can get approved. Central government reserving the right to approve projects of strategic importance but there's always a threat of it being misused. Project developers had to previously submit a record every six months, but the new notification would allow them to report directly after a gap of one year. A lot of damage can happen in that period without anyone realizing it, and then it will be too late. So the fact that the government is clearing the projects with a discussion of few minutes is absolutely not helping. According to meeting agendas posted on Environment Ministry's website, 191 projects are to be considered for clearances which will be done by 10 Expert Appraisal Committees (EACs). but in their 2-hour video conferencing, 47 projects were crammed into consideration over 3 sittings. With the lockdown in place, there won't be any on-site visits either, so all the documentation would come from project developers. So we wouldn't even know how much of that documentation would be accurate. Now you know that the current EIA isn't any better, but the newer one will be even worse. We are not against development at all, but it would be better if there is more stronger and better EIA which can hold projects more accountable towards the environment instead of weakening it. Since all of us were focused on the Northeast, there's been another bad decision which has surfaced regarding coal mining permissions in the Western Ghats. Vani will tell us something about
0: it. Recently, we are hearing news like UK going a whole month without coal power, Portugal goes two months without coal based electricity, even Europe is shutting down some of the last coal industries faster than expected during this pandemic. But in India, the situation is reversed. Even after the protests against the mining activities in Dehing Patkai Elephant Reserve, another eco sensitive area has been secretly attacked. Now, before we talk about the Western Ghats, let me tell you what ESA is. ESA basically prohibits any mining or red category industries to be established in the ecologically important zones. The ESA draft covers around 56,825 square kilometers spanning in six states of India. That is around 37% of the Western Ghats, out of which 17,340 square kilometers is in Maharashtra. Now, the state has already excluded 358 villages out of 2,133 in Maharashtra from the ESA. On 13 March, the Maharashtra state government requested the center to exclude more 15% of the Western Ghats that comes under ESA for mining and industrial activities. This request was proposed based on the suggestions received from the state's industrial and mining bodies because some villages fall under the MIDC areas. Now I wouldn't go in much detail about the same, but several claims of stopping mining and other red category industries from functioning in the Western Ghats were made in the years 2012 and 2015. But we may wonder that the loss of just 15% of forest land may not make much of a difference to such a huge forest. But let me tell you, in the last 5 years, India has lost around 1,20,000 hectares of forest area, most of which was from the Western Ghats. Only Karnataka and Kerala combined have lost around 30,000 hectares of forest area and the effect of which can be seen clearly by the drying of Kaveri River in spite of good rainfall. Coming back to the current request, among the villages planned for exclusion there are Dodda Mark Savantwadi, which is an important elephant and tiger corridor along Maharashtra-Goa border. The corridor is home to many animals including tigers, leopards, elephants, sloth bears, giant squirrels, etc. The corridor connects Radha Nagri Wildlife Sanctuary in Kolhapur to Bhimgad Wildlife Sanctuary in Karnataka. And if this corridor is broken, it will end up affecting the ecology of both these wildlife sanctuaries. Not only nature and wildlife, but also the local communities of these areas are being affected by the mining industry. The villagers of Kalane, where one of the mines is operational, submitted a resolution that they did not want mining in their area, since that was affecting their agricultural farms. Since Western Ghats is one of the oldest land masses of the world, around 150 million years old, even older than the Himalayas, has a great range of biodiversity which has yet to be discovered. This area also faces a lot of threats by the illegal mining that goes on around the Western Ghats. Yes, many mining companies are carrying out activities in many parts of the country without any environmental clearances and the recent EIA is a way of making these illegal activities legal. But what encourages these coal miners to disrupt the protected areas of India just for the extraction of coal, either legally or illegally? Of course there are a lot of benefits to coal mining, but these benefits can soon lead to disadvantages for our own country. The estimated global reserves of coal is around 1 trillion tons which can provide energy for another 200 years based on current consumption. But what after that? What if we kept utilizing these supplies? They will only last for 200 years. And what about after that? Currently, most of our infrastructure is specifically designed to use coal. But what will happen if these infrastructures, once the coal reserves, are emptied? Why don't we rather switch to renewable resources of energy, which once established is going to supply continuous power? Most of our current fuel and power industries depend on coal. Thus, usage and extraction of coal gives capital benefit and not much investment is needed as compared to nuclear or renewable resources of energy. Moreover, coal can be easily converted into liquid and gaseous forms of energy making it less polluting to the environment and also new technologies like carbon absorption and reusing has lowered the amount of pollution caused by these industries. Keeping these points in mind, we cannot deny that however less, in the end, coal does produce a huge amount of pollutants for our environment and also these mining projects cause immense exploitation of land and communities living around it. Many miners prefer open-caste technique of coal extraction, which causes huge destruction of property, especially when the area is a natural habitat. The flora and fauna of such areas are completely devastated and destroyed, leaving the soil almost infertile. Coal mining can cause a lot of respiratory disorders and lung cancer as well. Workers of coal mines can be affected by black lung disease which is not curable and has a 100% fatality rate. More of these miners never bother to refill the mining hole or plant any native vegetation in the area after destruction is caused, leaving the land barren and having an unrepairable effect on the ecosystem. Western Ghats is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, which means that it not only belongs to India but the whole world something that the whole world is proud about. India is home to 38 such sites which all belong to the Western Ghats. These ranges contain a large proportion of the country's flora and fauna and also influence the monsoon weather patterns of India. Any drastic disturbance in the Western Ghats could end up disrupting the whole climate cycle of our country. Talking about the Western Ghats reminds me of Dehing Patkai Elephant Reserve which is another ecologically important zone and how mining is disrupting its ecosystem.
1: As we all must know, a coal mining project in Saleki Reserve Forest has been given green signal by the Chairman of National Board for Wildlife and Minister of Forest, Environment and Climate of India. Here are the few basics of this project. First, the project is being proposed by a unit of Coal India Limited. Second, Saleki Reserve Forest is a part of Dehing Patkai Elephant Reserve, which is a home to 293 different species of birds. Third, the amount of land which is being approved is approximately 100 hectares. And last, the Dehing Patkai forms the largest stretch of tropical lowland rainfall in India. Let us take a look on the pros and cons of this project. Pros are, it can be a great source of an inexpensive form of energy. Second, the availability of coal in India can increase. Third, it can replace the use of solar and wind energy. Fourth, our dependency on the foreign countries for the fossil fuels will be decreased. Now coming to the cons. First, it is an open cast coal mining. An open cast coal mining can result into exposure of radioactive elements in the environment. Second, the area that has been chosen for this project is a fragile ecosystem. Third, such areas are already threatened by some industries like oil refinery and gas drilling, etc. Fourth, it can result in increase in pollution. Fifth, an unreversible damage to heritage animals will be done due to side fidelity. Now if we will compare the pros and cons, we will find that the damage done would be much higher than the benefits, especially when it's high time for us to move towards more environment-friendly mode of energy. There are social concerns attached to this area. If we look a bit into the history of Coal India Limited, it has actually been accused and also fined for illegal coal extraction in past. Ending this topic on a positive note that the efforts taken by the local to protect this wildlife-enriched
2: area should not go in vain. We have all heard the saying, Man is a social animal. We all are a part of a big society linked with one another. Similarly, animals interact with each other in numerous and complex ways too. Positive effects could include how some animals to be helping each other out. Have you all seen certain birds sitting on the backs of cattle? These birds eat the ticks present on the skin of these animals and at the same time, the animals get a pest control service. Not all interactions are like this though lions and tigers kill deer and other small animals to feed on them which is a type of negative interaction between species but it's beneficial because it keeps their numbers in check this enables us to better understand the role that species play within their ecosystems and how individual species can positively or negatively affect the species around them but what happens when humans create an interference in this earlier this month a snow leopard was captured by forest department with the help of locals in Geo village of Spiti district in Himachal Pradesh, who had killed almost 40 sheep in the past four days before being captured. These elusive animals live in the steep slopes of the Himalayas and mainly feed on the mountain goats. As farmers push further into their territories for grazing the sheep, it brings them to in direct contact with the leopards, which consider them as an easy catch, leading to attacks. The snow leopard was then sent to the Himalayan nature park in Kufri of Shimla district and now will soon be released back into the wild. But not all such stories of conflict have a happy ending. There are certain issues happening elsewhere in the country which are even more worrying. In Karnataka, we are getting to see attacks of stray dogs as well as the local people, on wildlife, leading to animal-animal and man-animal conflicts. In view of the continuing lo- lockdown, stray dogs are, as well as people have started killing spotted deer, black bugs, mouse deer, wild boars, turtles, peacocks and a host of species on the fringes of forests, be it protected or not. In the last 10 days, forest officials have been on their toes as open killings, and snaring of wildlife has risen multifold in Karnataka. The killing of antelopes and wild boars by street dogs and people has risen steeply in areas surrounding national parks, wildlife sanctuaries and reserve forests. With people locked in their homes, the strays are unable to find any source of food. And this also applies to the people living in the poverty-ridden conditions who are unable to afford basic necessities due to lack of work. For such people, as well as stray dogs, wildlife becomes an easy target. In case of stray dogs, another thing to watch out for is spread of diseases. According to Secretary of Society of Wildlife Veterinarians, Dr. H. S. Prayag, dogs can carry rabies and canine distemper. With vaccinations scant, it is always risky when these clashes happen. There is always a possibility of disease transmission, which is next to impossible to control once it starts spreading in free-range wildlife. So what can be done to reduce this? If possible, those who can afford can provide food for the needy. Especially in areas where there are hamlets or villages along the edges of the forests. No one is going to stop you from helping, provided all the precautions and social distancing is followed. We already have several people and NGOs which are working in this manner. Stray dogs have gotten so used to our presence and our habits of feeding them that we can't really blame them for attacking wild animals for food. Similarly, food can be provided for them as well. Even if we can't contribute a lot, every little thing helps.
0: Recently, news about a Kerala man-eating tiger has uh, surfaced the internet with contradictory views about the whole situation. There have been debatable uh, circumstances. So, let's talk about this situation and what actually really happened at, th- at this event. So, recently there was a rubber plantations worker who had been attacked by this tigress at 30 village in Kerala. And when the other fellow workers learned about this attack, they pelted stones at the tigress and she fleed away because of which she left the dead body in the village itself. So now the villagers in the surrounding villages are also really afraid and uh, are locking themselves inside their uh, homes. And obviously, it is obvious that they would be feared by this tiger. And at this situation, it's very difficult to preach conservation to these villagers that stay around these buffer zones. So what is happening right now is that the forest officials have been searching for this tigress and uh, by the pug marks and other... uh, Uh, searches, uh, they have found out that this tigress is probably a 5 year old tigress and uh, probably has been strayed away from the forest so there have been attempts of capturing it with the help of tranquilizers and other baits and uh, there was this goat bait that was given to this tigress uh, with the help of a trap and uh, the goat was inside it but instead of going to capture the goat, the tigress did not get trapped and she attacked the cattle in that village. Also, there have been different news about uh, scratch marks on cat- cattle and dogs being uh, disappearing from the surrounding villages as well. So yeah, uh, the whole situation that I wanted to talk about is that uh, people have la- named this tigress as a man-eating tigress, whereas it has attacked only one human until now. And uh, I get it that we cannot be uh, biased towards the tigress and ignore our fellow humans. But uh, it is really something to think about. Uh, Recently, 50 forest officials along with veterinary doctors and uh, 3 professional hunters have been looking for this tigress. And uh, there have been several camera traps and uh, drone images captured of this tigress. Now, if the forest officials are not successful in catching this tigress with the help of tranquilizers and baits, uh, it could be shot because of the label of being a man-eater. And uh, that is what is the most worrisome thing that is happening right now. A similar case had happened with a tigress called Avni where she was wrongly accused of killing 13 individuals without proper evidences she was shot because of the inability of the forest rangers to capture her and this led to her two 10 month old cubs to be orphaned so let's talk about why and how these tigers are labeled as man eaters and what actually makes them a man eater so many conditions like old age injuries even you know a mother of cubs who's who needs to feed her cubs could attack uh, Man And uh, if a tiger somehow realizes that, uh, you know, man is not capable of uh, keeping itself safe and it's a uh, very easy prey, it would rather uh, kill a man rather than chasing behind uh, cheetahs and uh, other forest animals. Now, uh, just on the basis of one attack, a tiger cannot be labeled as one. And especially when the population of tigers is like drastically reduced in our country. Uh, so yeah even starvation can lead to a tiger uh, being a man eater so there can be various possibilities why a tiger can be named so now uh, as I said earlier it must have strayed out of the forest which could lead for it to be a starving tigress and that's the reason it attacked a man also labeling a tiger as a man eater without proper evidence of uh, the attacks and what it is what actually happened is unjust injustice on the basis of this tiger so let's talk about uh, how our activities and anthropological activities cause these tigers to attack humans and we ourselves are being our worst enemy in this case because we are encroaching inside forest areas uh, building more settlements in the buffer zones and there's a lot of human wildlife conflict in the agricultural areas Because of which there are increased uh, attacks of these tigers uh, by humans and vice versa. And uh, that is something to really think about. Now, uh, talking about encroachment, uh, we need to keep in mind that uh, every tiger has, a male tiger especially, has a territory area of 60 to 100 kilometers and uh, most of our wildlife reserves are around 1000 to 2000 kilometers at large like the average is 1000 to 2000 kilometers which means that we can accommodate only 10 to 15 tigers per uh, tiger reserve and with the increasing population there is more and more uh, tigers getting into the buffer zones and uh, you know trying to hunt and kill domestic animals and if a chance probably Children and other humans. So it's really necessary for us to understand their uh, ecological importance and their necessities and act accordingly and uh, save this endangered animal from getting into extinction. And we have done a really great job in the past few years. But if we need to keep up with the progress, we really need to think about where we are heading with this. And especially when fragmentation of habitat is happening because of human encroachment, this is really something that we need to think about.
2: A very interesting thing has happened near our city very recently. Have you guys heard about the Pink Lake at Talawi wetland? The whole area is called as NRI complex and is situated in Navi, Mumbai. Flamingos and several migratory birds flock to this place in thousands to feed on algae and marine invertebrates. Very recently, water in a spot has been observed to have turned pink. BNHS, that is Bombay Natural History Society, our city's very own research organization, has taken up the task to find out what is the cause behind this unusual color of the water. There are other such examples of pink lakes too. In Australia, Lake Hillier is famous for its bubblegum pink-colored water, which doesn't lose its color even if the water is taken out. The cause was identified to be bacteria and a microscopic species of red alga called Dunaliella salina. This alga shows exponential growth when the water shows high levels of salinity. Similarly, the lake at Talawe has been speculated to be the result of a similar alga blooming due to the highly saline conditions, that form there in summer as the water evaporates and the salts are left behind. Flamingos breed in the neighboring state of Gujarat and then fly over here in the course of their migration. They get their pink color of the feathers from the marine organisms including the red algae they feed on which contains the pigment beta-carotene, the same pigment which gives tomato the red color. However, this year, there has been 25% increase in their numbers. This is definitely a good news and if this wetland is protected, who knows? Maybe the birds will start considering our city as a potential breeding spot. This can also open up opportunities for ecotourism in the area where people can come to see the birds while maintaining safe distance from them so as to not cause any disturbance. We just have to wait and see. If the red alga are indeed responsible for the color or not, and if yes, it could be a wonderful opportunity for the flamingos and the ecosystem of the area as a whole. We have also come across some good news regarding steps being taken against wildlife trade in China. Manju, can you tell us more about it?
1: Coming to another topic, China's steps to eradicate wildlife trade. As we all know about COVID-19 and SARS being coronavirus are types of zoonotic virus which means there are high chances of such viruses to transmit from animals to human through consumption of wildlife meat. In wet markets which are found in China, such kind of meat is sold illegally. Wet markets are where fish, animal, fruits and vegetables are being sold. Some of them have a different wild meat section. In some markets, some animals are also sold as wild pets. Because of such illegal actions, there are possibilities of animal virus to mutate and infect humans. All of the mentioned scenario is something that is already known to the whole world. But there is something that not everyone of us knows about. China has started taking steps to eradicate such malpractices. China has offered subsidies to eradicate wildlife trade. On 24 February 2020, China announced a ban on consumption of most wild animals. China has stopped illegal wildlife trade to help prevent the zoonotic diseases. National People's Congress has taken decision that all hunting trade transport, and eating of wild animals should be strictly prohibited by wildlife protection law. China has also started offering subsidies to small business ideas and help them to take up the livestock breeding, fruit, and vegetable farming on large scale. There are challenges to enforce the ban due to local protectionism, violation by traders, catering businesses, and other poor law enforcement. However, this plan does not cover wild animals used to make fur, traditional medicines, or for entertainment. This is high time and we as humans should understand that everything will survive only through coexistence and every living thing in their own ecosystem are important as much as human beings are. It's the time we should understand and try to stop all illegal poaching and wildlife trade activities. And we have to positively spread this among everyone. As in ancient literature in Veda which means, O humans, animals are agnya that are owed not to be killed, but protected. We should understand as humans are not owners of this earth, but a
0: very small
1: part of it.
0: As the last topic of the day, let's talk about how we can improve the climate of India and make our lives more sustainable in terms of nature and environmental development. Firstly, let's take a look at how the lockdown has improved the environment in terms of water, air and wildlife. Talking about water conditions and the improvement of water quality, the Ganges River is the best example. With lower nitrate levels and higher oxygen levels, the river ecosystem is thriving better than ever. Even in other rivers of India, a great impact has been seen. What about air pollution? Even that has improved greatly in in many regions. The Dauladar mountain ranges are now visible from Jalandhar after many years. Mount Everest is visible from Bihar after literally 30 years, which means that the pollution caused in 30 years has been improved by nature in the span of just a few months. Talking about wildlife, we have experienced many videos on social media about how the animals are encroaching into the city landscapes and thriving better than ever. Even endangered animals like sea turtles have been nesting better and have a promising future of an increase in population in the coming years because of this lockdown. A great reduction of sewage and solid waste production in major cities of India has been noted. Cities like Pune and Chennai have seen a great impact in the reduction of solid waste and sewage production at about 29% in Pune and 28% in Chennai. Major metropolitan cities like Mumbai and Delhi have also seen a great reduction in sewage production and solid waste production. Now, of course, this change is due to the lockdown. But do you think we cannot maintain this change even after the lockdown is over? Yes, of course, we can. In fact, talking about environmental impact of the lockdown, even the economic impact has to be studied and discussed. The economy of India has greatly been affected by this lockdown due to the lack of production and work. So does that mean that if we need to improve our environment, we need to compromise on our economy? No, not at all. In fact, the lockdown has given us an opportunity to sit back and look at ways to improve our economy to a greater extent without harming the environment. Today, I'm going to talk about a few ways to improve our economy without harming the environment and causing much damage. Firstly, the thing that everyone has been speaking about for a few years now, renewable energy. Renewable energy reduces our use of fossil fuels and other components like coal, which further reduces the exploitation of forests like the Western Ghats for the purpose of coal extraction. Apart from that, there are many other methods that we can adapt to in order to live sustainably. Adapting NBS, which is Nature-Based Solutions, which includes production of bioenergy, organic manure, biogas, and other environmentally friendly means of energy, is a great way. Another way of development can be adapted by industries and is called ZLD or Zero Liquid Discharge, wherein the water that would otherwise pollute the environment if left untreated can undergo treatment based on certain guidelines before releasing into the environment and polluting the water bodies. Not just that, not just at an interest rate level, but even at a private level of our own households and individuality, we can take measures that can impact the environment to a great extent. Something as simple as wet and dry waste management and the purchasing of unpackaged products can greatly help with sustainable development. With this, I would like to end by saying that sustainability should be practiced at all scale and at an individual level as well. Thank you.
2: So this concludes our today's conversation. Thank you for joining in. We will always keep you all updated. Please like, share and subscribe and do let us know how you feel about our podcast. Feel free to ask questions in the comments as well. See you next time.